Praise God. Brother Goff, we love you. Thank you so much for filling in during this time. I want you to come take your liberty this morning. Preach to me. I want to hear the word of the Lord. God bless you. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord, everybody. Amen. Can we clap our hands unto him this morning? Hallelujah. Giving him glory and honor and thanks unto his name. We praise you, Savior. We praise you. Amen. What an honor it is to be in God's house this morning. I would rather be nowhere else than being in the house of God to be able to magnify him, but not by myself, but with God's chosen people. Amen. It is a privilege to be here, and thank you, Bishop, for in your absence allowing me to minister, and we pray that God continues to give you a quick healing, and it reinforces the fact when I have to fill in a spot that you normally fill so skillfully, and uh, I thank you for your confidence in me and also the other men of God who stepped to the sacred desk. We thank you. Amen. Well, church family, I do have message that God laid on my heart. I sure wish Bishop would have just asked for my notes and he could have just preached this morning and done a much better job. He quoted scriptures from where I'm planning to take us a little bit this morning. So we'll just let the Holy Ghost have its way and I'll get out of the way and let the word reach into the hearts because there's obvious a need in the house. Not just stating what you see, but just because the spirit of God is moving and reaching and confirming his word. It's for us to be obedient to what God is wanting to do this morning and reach down and make a difference in somebody's life. Somebody needs a difference to be made in their life. Not just to be checked on the attendance roster this morning, but a difference that the Holy Ghost only can make in this house. Amen. And saints of God, it's dependent upon us. It's dependent upon me. We have to be obedient it's what God wants to do in this house this morning. Amen, amen. If you will, turn in your Bibles, do a very short reading in the book of Mark, chapter 10, in verse 26. Mark, chapter 10, in verse 26, it says, And they were astonished out of measure, saying among themselves, Who then can be saved? And Jesus, looking upon them, saith, With men it is impossible. But with God, but not with God. For with God, all things are possible. Amen. If we can lay our Bibles down, lifting our hearts unto him, asking him to continue to reach down and touch in this service, yielding ourselves unto him. Let's talk to him once again, children. Thank you, Savior. Hallelujah. You may be seated. And I am going to need the help of God and the help of my church family this morning. Amen. Reading and looking at our text, we see pastors already quoted part of my text. And we'll get to that in just a moment. But I want him to just make a few comments before we jump into the text. Uh, looking at the very beginning and looking at Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, we see that Abel, just referencing him, 
was one generation removed from perfect humanity. And he received his sin nature from Adam and Eve. He was one step away from being in the garden. One step of a generation being away from in that perfect environment. He was directly connected to people who existed in the garden when there was no sin and they lived as God intended. And he was one step away. And saints of God, I want to tell us today that the lost are one step away from perfection, maturity in God. They are one small step. And God's redemptive plan makes us all sons and daughters in him. And we are that gap between what people will continue to live in life, whether they have happiness, joy, peace, or not, strictly depends upon our response to what God has commissioned us to do. We are the ones to go out and compel those around us. And looking back at our text, we read the discourse between Jesus and the disciples as they question, and we'll get to it in just a moment, who could be saved in the kingdom of heaven. And this is a familiar passage where we talk about the rich young man. And in the preceding passages, Jesus gives focus on what the young man must do to be saved, not looking at what he was to inherit eternal life. And I can stop here and we can deep dive into part of this message, but I want for those who may have doubts and concerns, I want to clear the air about your life and use the word of God if I can bring a point of clarity to your life. And we will reference what Jesus did for the rich young man. And Jesus pointed out three things to the young man. The first one was it's not unto man who is good, but it is God. He recognized, he took the focus off of him is what Jesus did and pointed the young man to recognize the supreme authority of God. And this is despite the miracles that this man no doubt had seen and heard. You, we won't get bogged down in it, but in preceding scriptures, we see where Jesus and the disciples had went from one location to the next we see where he starts talking about marriage and divorce and he goes into talking about the children and, and then all of a sudden you have a young man come running up and saying, what must I do to inherit eternal life? In the midst of probably you would think one of the dullest or non-engaging, it may be specific to certain people, but a man came running into the midst of Jesus and asked for salvation. Jesus is the answer today, and he is the only one that we can cling to and get the answer that we need in this house. And so despite the miracles that was taking place, Jesus Christ reached out and pointed this young man saying, listen, all power, the one who's good, everything that is a good reflection of here on earth is unto God. It's all in his hands. He also stepped back and began to talk to the young man about keeping the law. He makes the statement that you kept the law. And Jesus, knowing the thoughts and the intent of the heart of his audience, he knew whom he was teaching. He knew intimately what their heart would be like because he was God in the flesh. 
And he brought focus to the young man desiring eternal life. And I have no doubt this morning that God is going to do the very same thing to hearts that may be in question or have doubts just through the word of God. That's just what God does. He speaks to the hungry. And lastly, we see Jesus zeroed in on the issue of the heart. The rich young man had kept the law from his youth. However, Jesus told him that he lacked one thing. And that's what I want to preach to you this morning. You lack one thing. In Mark chapter 10 and verse 21, Then Jesus beholding him loved him, speaking of the rich young man, and saith unto him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come, take up the cross, and follow me. Reading in Matthew's recording of this same exchange in Matthew 19 and 20, we won't turn there. The recording of this event when the young man had responded and said that he had kept the law from his youth, he asked the all-important question to Jesus, what lack I yet? And what we read in Mark chapter 10 and 21 was the response of Jesus knowing his heart and listening to the question that he asked, Jesus answered truthfully. You lack one thing. And when it comes to asking God questions, you cannot get offended at the response. Don't forget, you asked him for help. You asked him for his opinion. You asked him to step in to your situation. So when he steps in and tells you just exactly what it is and what steps you should take, no offense should be taken on our part because you asked the question, what must I do to be saved? When Jesus gives the answer to your situation, it is the answer. It is not a point to be considered, pondered, or weighed against within your own mind. It is the answer. The infallible right path, the step you must take it's because that's what God is you see what Jesus saw in the young man was the very same thing that led a people that had submitted themselves to the law and yet had deep affection for the things of the world and it was from their lips that this phrase was hurled crucify him they knew the law but yet they were missing that one thing. They had so much religion that the gods of this world had clouded their judgment and yet the true color of their heart exploded from within when their response was, no, it's not Barabbas we want. We want you to crucify Jesus. We want you to put him to death even though he was fulfilling all that they knew in their own life. The rich young man possessed many things, yet he did not possess a true inheritance. And Jesus was trying to get him to forsake the inheritance of this world so that he would have eternal life. That was the focus of his response, saying, you lack one thing. I want you to go and sell all that you have 
and then I want you to come back and pick up the cross and follow me. That was what the exchange rate was when Jesus told him, I want you to be a follower of me. You can't run up and purchase salvation. We go back to our text and read in Mark 10, we find that Jesus immediately places the emphasis on how they could only be saved by the hand of God. And it says in verse 26, And they were astonished from our text out of measure, saying among themselves, Who then can be saved? And Jesus looked upon them, saith, With men it is impossible, but not with God, for with God all things are possible. What I find interesting in this passage is the young man runs up, has this exchange with Jesus. Jesus gives him the commandment and tells him what to do. And the conversation within the text of our scripture immediately pivots to the disciples. There wasn't, he told him what to go do. I don't know if the young man's there. We know that his response is later given. and We won't talk about that too much, but we know the young man gave a response, but we automatically see the disciples seeing this unfold. We have a young man who has dedicated his life, lived for God. He's wealthy. He comes here asking for a way to be saved. And Jesus explains to him all that we just talked about. And they begin to ask this question, how can we be saved? Who then, if this young man cannot be saved, who then has hope to be saved? And it's interesting because this exchange continues in the following verses of Scripture. And what we see is Peter steps up and becomes the one who's documented in Scripture. If you could maybe say, maybe he was the spokesman of this concern that was coming up from the disciples. And you could see that they're all aghast. If, if he can't be saved, then how are we, the followers of Jesus Christ, going to be saved as well and we find that Jesus engages with them and you see they had all just heard that exchange and they all saw that if he has no hope then what hope would we have and they began to talk about it say listen we gave everything we forsook everything and we're following him and and it would find in verse 28 then Peter began to say unto him lo we have left all and have followed thee you see He's saying, Jesus, have we not given all that we have and followed after you? In verse 29, and Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, there is no man that hath left the house, left house, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lambs, for my sake and the gospels. But he received an hundredfold now in this time houses and brethren and sisters, and mothers, and children, and lands with persecutions, and of the world to come eternal life. Jesus answered the question for the disciples. He gives them the clear instruction, but he lets them know you're going to have to give up some things in order for you, and go through some things in order for you to be able to receive this gift of the eternal life. The words of Jesus brings them back to the center of their focus on him, and their sacrifice. And the call is to sacrifice everything in this life. 
which we know is but a small blip on the radar of this thing called eternity, of that which we have waiting for just to unfold in time to be no more. If we could only get the perspective of what truly weighs in the balance in comparison to eternity, if we could truly see everything that plagues our life and the things that weigh upon our mind, there is nothing worth spending eternity in hell. Absolutely nothing. It doesn't matter who said what, what you possess, or what's being offered. It doesn't matter how much you feel uh, rejection from those around you or love from those around you. Nothing is worth spending life in eternity in hell for. We must continue and pursue after this word of God that he has given to us and the Bible that has laid out the exact plan for us. We must prepare our hearts for him. What I find interesting, Jesus uses the unit of measure to show the disciples that the reward is greater than you can even imagine. When he's referencing the measure, which is such as a currency, it's easy for our minds to comprehend multiplying a number by a number. You could say, I'm going to bless you a hundred times what you're currently being paid today. We could pull out our calculator and begin to do the math and understand the fullness of that blessing. But what Jesus is sitting there telling them, listen, you gave up but I'm going to richly bless you and it's going to be so abundantly above that you cannot even comprehend the blessing that is being given unto you. We can say, well, I know I have a house. What would it be like if I had two houses? I know I have a mother who just celebrated a birthday yesterday. I, I would know what it'd be like to have two. But when you multiply these things that Jesus used as an example, these earthly things and correlate them back and we try to magnify them by a hundred it's beyond our wildest imagination because we cannot comprehend what that really really is in our life what jesus is saying listen what i'm willing to give to you if you will sacrifice everything is beyond your wildest imagination what I'm willing to promise to you, what this young man came in and would not give up one of, I'm willing to manifold, just pour out blessing upon blessing upon you. I'm willing to give you something that will take you in and through eternity. And what Jesus promised was being a part of something far bigger than what we could ever imagine earthly. I think of the song that says, when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. I promise you, there will not be one memory that will crawl back into our mind and say, I remember when I went to the mailbox and I got that bad news. No, it's going to be replaced with rejoicing. Not just in that moment, but for eternity. Time without end. It will cease. Time will cease to exist. I'll correct that. In. And it goes within our presence of our Savior. And we just keep going and going. Worshiping and praising Him forever. And here we get hung up here on earth saying, I just got some bad news. 
Or why did that person do that to me? Or why did they mistreat me? Why is my life in the condition it's in right now? I'll tell you why. So you have something to give to him. So you have something to lay down. Something that you say, God, all I have is brokenness. You're exactly right. That's the currency that spins in the kingdom of God. When you walk in and you have absolutely nothing and you lay down, that is all that he's asking of you. Whether it be riches of this world, whether it be the poorest of persons. When God says come, he's saying come everyone, no matter who you are. You are one step away from perfection. But you lack one thing. We look at our heavenly benefits. We have them. They're here on earth. Freedom from the bondage of sin. Favor of God is on your life. Peace that passeth all understanding. Not just once, but in every trial. A new family in Christ. This means that when you get to where you want to go, everyone that is there will have the same desire. You won't be the one that's standing out saying, do I feel like I could clap my hands or lift my voice? No. The Bible tells us that we're going to rejoice in heaven for all of eternity. What we sacrificed here on earth, we're going to come, and this is just a dress rehearsal of things to come. Will we all get promoted to that time and place where he says, listen, I'm going to lift you up out of all these troubles. I'm going to put everything here on earth to an end. Come on up a little higher, saints of God. I have something here for you. It's the promises of God coming to pass. But Jesus knows what it feels like to be here on earth. We see in John chapter 8 and 23, it says, He said unto them, Ye are from beneath, I am from above. Ye are of this world, and I am not of this world. We see the man Christ Jesus speaking, the voice of God being able to tell them, Listen, I am not of this place. I may have sent a carcass, a human flesh, to come down here and walk among you. But listen, don't get hung up on what your feet are covered with the dirt of this world what plagues upon your body the scars upon your soul that you bear your body wrecked with pain and and concerns and you don't know how you're going to be able to achieve what you have in life that lays before you but i'm here to tell you saints of god don't get wrapped up in the things of this world that's exactly what he wants us to lie down at his feet so he can do something with our life we get a perfect example and Jesus, what a servant. What a servant. When speaking of inheritance, the most common or popular side of inheritance, it's always on the receiving side. We always, man, I just wish I had a rich uncle that was on his deathbed and he would say, you're in my will. And all of a sudden, your life is transformed and changed. That's what the flesh and the carnality of our mind, it's always about receiving. We find that Jesus was providing the perfect example of leadership, and he showed his followers how to become servants. And he was the original author of servant leadership. In John chapter 13 and verse 12, 
So after he had washed their feet and had taken his garments and was set down again, he said unto them, Know ye what I have done to you? Ye call me Master and Lord, and ye say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. We find the example that was given to the disciples is so they would always remember to exhibit the same behavior that he had showed them by washing their very own feet. The best way for someone to remember it, an instance or a time or example or a lesson is for them to be a part of it. Because then they can go back in their remembrance and they can say, I remember when God did this in my life. It's our testimony. But these disciples would be able to forever remember and be able to recall and tell firsthand, Jesus washed my feet. And we must become just like him. He gave an example that without scripture and verse in that very moment in time, he penned the words that could live on through example that we can now draw back to as Bishop taught several about a month ago on this very topic about communion and foot washing and, and why it's necessary. It was because Jesus was the example and laid the foundation. He himself did it. He was placing something deep in their hearts that was meant to be brought back into remembrance as they served. You see, it was not just a show and tell event. It wasn't for it just to be remembered and talked about, but it was so he would change the way they look at their role in the kingdom of God. Jesus took a common right and turned it into a test of humility. And the common right is, when you walk into the house, you wash the dirt off of the feet of those that come in. He took something that was reserved for the servant. By lowering himself, Jesus elevated the servant to the place to receive an inheritance from the master. If we will humble ourselves and do as God has asked us, there's no telling as we sing about what God will do if you'll just believe. I remember, and I've used this example before, but I feel like God laid it on my heart once again to share it. During the adoption process for Haley and Janessa into our family, we were presented with the decision to choose the inheritance for our girls. We were given the opportunity to change their names and forever set their destiny in a direction that we, as their parents, chose. And it was one that allowed Sister Golf and I, as their legal parents, to decide if they were to have legal rights to the biological parents or were we going to offer up and provide our inheritance under the name of Golf. And they, you see, they were directly connected to that inheritance because I, being their father, they were grafted in to my family. It was an easy choice for me from a father's perspective 
because I know what their past was. I took those girls to uh, weekly meetings with parents that would sometimes show up or not show up. Treat them as second-class citizens among family when they're supposed to be oohing and aahing and trying to gain their affection and build a relationship. They would bring cousins as a distraction and give all the cousins gifts and hand them something not even of nominal value. But what stuck out in my mind was there was nothing from their past that will ever give them a future. Nothing. But I, as their father, knew that I'm going to work hard. I know that I'm going to love them unconditionally. I know that I'm going to pray for them every day. I know that I'm going to wrap them in my arms no matter how many mistakes they make. I know their past will not do any of that. As their father, I held their future, knowing by putting the name of Goff at the end of their name, they had an inheritance. There was nothing for them to receive from their past. But I knew the moment I said without question, they get all that I have. They get the benefits of having the name Goff. We, the church, have nothing to lose and everything to gain when we share the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have to get this through our mind. And Sister Goff, if you would come up, I want to show you just how powerful it is. Now, I could have called on anybody, but I'd rather hold her hand more than any of y'all's, and it's warm and mine is ice cold. We are the church, and if we're connected to God, everywhere we go, He should go. And we have an obligation, Brother Hilton, that when we go into this world, we introduce Christ. It is our responsibility. We have to do this because we have an inheritance. And if we know, if you could just imagine, if around Sister Goff there was placards of peace, love, joy, forgiveness, the calmness, everything that he's promised, everything that he has promised, and we took it with us everywhere we go. And if I, as someone who has inherited this promise, I take her, Sister Goff, with me, knowing that I can hand over those things at any time by just saying, you want to come to church? Can I give you a Bible study? Can I pray for you? I can say, listen, I want to introduce you to somebody that has changed my life. But if I walk up to someone and I introduce myself, Sister Jasmine, but I never let them see all the things that I have access to, I have not shared the inheritance. See, we are the conduit for the inheritance. We pass along the name. We bear the name of Jesus Christ. We bear his blood upon our body. But it is upon me as a child of God to say, Sister Jasmine, I'd like for you to meet the one who's changed my life. And when I introduce you to God, 
I have now connected you to the one, and now you have an opportunity to be a son or a daughter in the kingdom of God. When we hide him and put him behind us, we're just satisfied with just having acquaintances, but you'll never change those around you. You have to be willing to say, let me tell you who Jesus is. You have to put yourself out there. You see, it's just me linked to him. God has given us. I think Brother Nelson said it the other day when he was preaching. God has placed this plan upon our shoulders as laborers. As Bishop has said so many times, it is laborers that go out and bring in the harvest. And we bring it in because we have a love and desire. We want everybody else to feel what we feel. We want everybody else to drink from those fountains of refreshing that we walk into this house. And so when we walk into this house, we say, God, this is not just me getting to be able to feel your presence, but it's me being able to convey to everybody around me, whether they're sinner or saint, there's something powerful in the midst of God's presence. It'll change your life. Let me tell you about him. We have this obligation to tell others about him. And we are that link. And all they have to do is reach out and grasp onto us. And we say, listen, it's deeper than what you see of me. I'm just a man. I'm just a broken man that God has taken and done something great with and put me in the kingdom and allowed me to live for him because when I was without him, I was lost. I was in the gutters of life. But he, reaching down in mercy, changed my life. In 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 8, for bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things having promise of life that now is and of that which is to come. You see, while godliness does not promise a vast wealth here on earth, however, it prepares you for the inheritance given only by God. It furnishes the promise of what really is necessary in life. We look at verses of Scripture. in Philippians chapter 4, verse 19, But my God, shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. We know that he is the answer, but it's upon us to take and deliver that to the hungry around us. When, when this question may be asked, and you must know the audience, and when they say, I'm hungry, they want a meal. John 6 and 35, and Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. And he that cometh to me shall never hunger. And he that believeth on me shall never thirst. To the lonely, they may say, can you stay with me and talk? Psalms 91 and verse 15, he shall call upon me and I will answer him. And I will be with him in trouble and will deliver him and honor him. And to be burdened, and they say, may you help me carry this load. First Peter 5 and 7, casting all your cares upon him. For he careth for you. To the depressed, you may say, can you give me one more day? Psalms 27 and verse 12, deliver me not over unto the will of mine enemies. For false witnesses are given up against me, and such as breathe out cruelty. Verse 13, I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord. 
be of good courage. He shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. You see, we are not the answer. We are the conduit for the answer. John 14 and 6 says, Jesus saying unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. It's not upon us to lift ourselves up and think, look at who I've touched. Look at all the people I've been able to interact with and brought them to God. It is us just opening ourselves and saying, I'm empty. And then there's a conduit. But God uses life as a way to clean out the closets of our heart. To make it so that he can flow through us to reach others. The church is consistently reaching out a hand to the lost, the weary, the wounded. God placed his hand upon our shoulders. And he has entrusted us with the responsibility to pass along his inheritance. It is not our message to alter. The inheritance is ours to share, just like he told us to. The Apostle Paul shares a powerful example on how we as Christians should extend ourselves to the reach of others. And I won't read through it. I'll reference 1 Corinthians chapter 9. In verse 19, Paul humbles himself as a servant. He enslaved himself to their service. And I, compi- I, I complied, what he's saying, I complied with their customs and opinions as far as he could lawfully. It was not to deceive, but in order not to offend. In verse 20, he followed the Jewish laws. In verse 21, the Gentiles, he did not impose law upon them. In verse 22, to the weak, meaning those that did not have a full understanding. He did not overwhelm them with ceremony, dress, and customs. But he did it all so that he could be all things to all men. You see, he was not being elusive, sly, deceptive. Here's what he did. He laid down all of him so that he could only represent Christ. Because Christ can step into every environment. And be applicable. Be relevant. But my opinions do not matter. My thoughts, ideas, desires do not matter. None of them will save souls. But it's easy for us to step into the environment and say, Whoa, you don't have to follow this tradition. Or you must follow this tradition. Or how do you not know what the Bible says? We have to adapt, saints of God, to step into that environment and meet the need and to be all things to all men. He did not distort the message. He filtered out his own prejudice and presented Christ. It says in verse 23, In this do I for the gospel's sake, that I might be a partaker thereof with you. To me, I find this powerful. It restates Exactly what I just said. He did it for others. But he did it so they could both partake in the promises of God. He did not hold it above their head. He did not say it's a carrot that you can reach for. But he's sitting there saying, I'm doing this. I submit myself as a servant, Brother Hilton, so that you may gain in the knowledge of Jesus Christ and who he is. And the promises that he has for you. 
He did it for the sake of the kingdom. His desire was that the gospel of Jesus Christ would be advanced. And it wasn't about himself, just as the verse of Scripture states, that I might be a partaker thereof with you. He's saying, when I get to heaven, I want you by my side. I want us both to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter now into the joy of the Lord. He says in there, you've been faithful over many things. But he's of the small things. And he tells him, listen, I want you to enter now into the joy of the Lord. We have this obligation, saints, to be the conduit of the inheritance around us. We are the ones that speak the word into their life. When they ask a question and you see a spiritual application or a Bible verse that can answer the question, don't be ashamed to say, I was just reading the other day. This spoke to my heart. Do you mind if I share this verse of scripture with you? This is what it says. Cast all your cares upon him. Why? Because he careth for you. And I put this in my heart and I just want you to know that whatever you're going through, God is the answer. And that's when we don't judge, but we reach over and put our arm around the shoulder and say, listen, let me tell you about my heavenly father. There's an inheritance that you can tap into, and I'm here to give it to you today. Can I give you a Bible study? It's not about us and the notches on our belt and things we achieve and the ladders we climb. But it's about the souls we reach and the tears we pray and the souls that reach out to heaven and say, I'm so glad somebody told me who Jesus is. As Christians, our lives are lived to meet the moments that God has created. In these times, we look at all of our hard work, the countless times of sacrifice. And if we are not careful, it's easy to get caught up in all that we did to do to get to this moment. And we lose sight of the goal where we are standing in front of. It's His purpose. It's His promises. It's His riches and His wealth that He's given unto us. It's nothing of our own. And as the Apostle Paul stated, all that I am fades away so that one soul may grow to know Jesus Christ. And if I could admonish you this in closing, situational elements are meaningless. Focus on God. Situational elements are meaningless if the cause for which you are in, in just deeply involved in if the thing that defines you most if the headlines that shake you to your core if the messages that you receive that just stir you up are not kingdom related you have lost focus It could also mean that you have never met this man called Jesus Christ. And I'm here to tell you today, now is that time. If everything that motivates you to a time of prayer or coming to the house of God is all the externals, and you come and then you forget about the internals, I'm here to tell you, you are one step away from perfection, maturity, knowing who God really, really is. I'm reminded of something that I heard 
Elder Wayne McLean say when I was a young man? He says, as a minister of this precious gospel, I am God's water boy. The water boy is not the star player. I receive my recognition, Bishop, from God and from thirsty players. Saints of God, that should be something that motivates us. When we walk out into this world and they're thirsty and they're hungry and you see tears well up in their eyes because they don't know who he is but you're starting to present God and they start to feel his presence. It's our responsibility to say, let me tell you about that water. You'll never thirst again. I'm here just to deliver the message but let me take you to this well. Let me take you to this man. Let me tell you, just as the lady, that woman that went to the well, and she heard all that Jesus had told her and told her her history, and he went and she went into the city and says, listen, you have got to hear about this man. That's how we go out into this world. That's how we go shop. That's how we do business. That's how we treat others. Let me tell you about this man called Jesus. The weary walk with the weight of the problems on their shoulders it rests upon their body. It weighs upon their mind. The words they speak, you can feel the weight and the problems of the world rest upon their face. You see their shoulders sag under it. And someone that may be in tune with God they see you holding it in your hands, not knowing what to do. You feel so helpless. And it's our responsibility as saints of God, when we take God with us everywhere we go, there's an introduction that can be made. And he doesn't just fist bump, elbow bump, or wave from a distance. For when Jesus introduces himself, he reaches out with arms of love and mercy and holds them and picks them up. He says, listen, just why don't you just hand those over to me? I can help you with that. Because Jesus, time and time again, compelled the lost, compelled those. So many times we read in Mark chapter 10, them Jesus beholding him loved him. It is because Jesus loved the, the young ruler, the young man, the rich young man. It's because he loved him. He told him what he lacked. He lacked an inheritance. Go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor. And thou shalt have treasure in heaven. And come, take up that cross. When you've got rid of everything, come back to me. And you'll be empty-handed. And there's a cross that you must pick up and follow me. John 16 and 33. These things I have spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. The thing that's beating upon you, I've beat. 
words that are so malicious and you cry yourself to sleep at night and you wake up and you don't have peace, I've overcome everything. 1 Peter 5 and 7, once again, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. You have an inheritance that this church can make sure you receive, that you might have life and life more abundantly. And this church gathers together every service, every prayer meeting to say, welcome home. Welcome home. The gift that God has for you is available today as our musician comes. And as we stand this morning, there is an ever-present help that God wants to give to you if you'll just obey the word of God today and reach out and say, I want what you have for me today, Master. The inheritance I must feel that peace, that love, that joy that overfloweth my heart. God, you have given a word this morning. If we could talk to him, Heavenly Father, I thank you, Master, for your word. God, you know the hearts that you're talking to. God, you have arranged a divine introduction for some hearts this morning. God, I want you to reach down through each and every one of us, no matter what it may be. God, it's your hands that do the work, not our own. But God, it's been an honor and a privilege for me to stand behind this sacred desk and to deliver to the thirsty and the hungry what you have given to my heart and what you have laid upon your heart, my heart, God. You have ordained this morning a word to come forth and help change somebody's heart. Saints of God, can we find us a place to pray? I believe the word deserves a response to look in our hearts but those of you who do not have the Holy Ghost, God wants to reach down and change you. If you can't feel him, God wants to arrange a divine meeting that you may feel him once again this morning. God wants to reach down into your heart, lifting the hurt and the pain. He wants to mend the brokenness. He wants to reach down and bandage the wounds. He wants to dry the blood and wipe it off. And he wants you to feel him once again. Let the richness of his glory reach over your soul and let it flow from the top of your head to the soles of your feet. You don't have to feel the way you feel right now, but there's a God in heaven that's reaching for your soul. Can we reach for him today, saints of God? Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Jesus oh, yes. For the world today. Above him there's no other. Jesus is the way. Oh, yes, he is. Jesus is the answer. He's the only way. For the world today. Oh, Above hallelujah. Him there's no other. Jesus, Jesus is the way. Hallelujah. For the world today. I implore you. Above him there's no grab a hold of your inheritance this morning. Jesus is Don't leave empty handed from the presence of the Father. Jesus is the This church. For the world today. We've done everything we can to give you access Above to him. him no Take him at his word. 
Cast your cares upon him. Oh, yes.